Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. When I hear the story of Gideon, I can't help but think of Veggie Tales. And even after 15 or 20 years, I still sing some of Larry's silly songs in my mind. It is a wonderful tool, of course, for sharing God's word. Um, this morning, I opened with the prayer, a collect that's different from the collect we prayed this morning. The petition this morning was that God would keep us in his truth, true religion, and protect us by his mighty power. The alternative collect for today begins, uh, set us free from the bondage of our sins, and then give us the abundant life which God has made known in his son Jesus. And it's those two themes that I want to look at in the context of St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and then this incredible abundant catch of fish that we read about in the story from the gospel. It's in fact uh, God's provision that I'm even even able to be here this morning uh, on the same Sunday that Father Lee has begun his sabbatical. Uh, The reason is the church that I was supposed to be at in Fort Worth today lost its heat, and they didn't want to have confirmation services in 30-degree buildings. So uh, I was able to come down and be with uh, Christ Church this morning. And I hope you've seen the announcement about Father Lee's sabbatical. Um, I ask you to pray for him during this time as he uh, seeks rest and refreshment and recreation, rejuvenation, whatever other R words you can think of. Um, pray for his family, that their bonds are strengthened and that God speaks to him and gives him a renewed sense for ministry going forward. After Almost 18 years of nonstop ministry, he certainly earned some time, some downtime, uh, and also needs some downtime, so please keep him in your prayers as well as Ella. Uh, I did a, a true sabbatical back in 2008, and I packed it so full of travel and meetings and study that I came home from the sabbatical and needed a vacation. Father Nelson is not going to make the same mistake, so... As I said, the collect that I prayed to open the sermon lays out a theme I'd like to explore both from St. Paul's thoughts to the Corinthian church, as well as um, the call of Jesus on the lives of his followers. This colic, I pray, acknowledges that through Jesus Christ, we are set free from the bondage of our sin. That is the promise of the cross, the promise of the gospel that we proclaim, that we can be forgiven of our sins. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And now we move over to St. Paul's letter, and he writes to them saying, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried. One little side note is we only give away what we've received. It's not something we make up. We receive it from the last generation, and we hand it down to the next generation, and that is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is central to our salvation. In fact, it's the central piece of all of human history. It's the intersection where God's wrath on behalf of our sins and God's love for us intersect. We read in John's Gospel, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's a certain medieval monk who announced that he'd be preaching next Sunday night on the love of God. Well, as the shadows began to fall that night and light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered, and in the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle, and he carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. 
Next, the two wounded hands, and then the mark of the spear in the side. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and he left the cathedral. There was nothing else to say. The love of God. The cross is the symbol of God's love for each one of us. Jesus took our place on the cross because he loves us. Apart from the atoning work of Christ on the cross, we are in fact held bondage to sin in sin. Without his work on the cross, we are separated from God, and in truth, we're separated from one another. Luther once, Martin Luther once wrote to a friend, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, I am your sin. You've taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You became what you were not, so that I might become what I was not. Our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross and our baptism into that sacrifice is central to who we are and to what we will become. But the collect, I prayed, goes on beyond just being freed from the bondage of sin. It talks about this abundant life promised to us in Jesus. St. Paul goes on uh, in his letter, we continue to pray. Well, we prayed, give us that abundant life which you may know to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. St. Paul says, as he continues, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's this new life that comes from the resurrection. Paul then lists the number of people who saw him alive. He was literally alive. So I want to ask you just a simple question. Are you living that abundant life promised to you from the gospel? Do we even know what that abundant life is? There's more to the exchange which happens when we place our faith in Jesus and are baptized into his household. It's not just that we're released from the bondage of sin, but we can actually receive the very life of Jesus himself. In the death of Jesus, the shame and the guilt of sin, death itself are taken from us and placed on his shoulders. For our sake, as St. Paul said, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, but he didn't finish there. He goes on to say, so that we might become the righteousness of God. In a sermon, I believe, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, St. Augustine, some 1,500 years ago, said these words, and he was trying to explain this new life we have in Christ. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal creator of all things, today became our Savior by being born of a mother. Of his own will, he was born for us today in time so that he could lead us to his Father's eternity. God became man so that man might become God. The Lord of angels became man today so that man could eat the bread of angels. There is more to the exchange of the cross where death is conquered and sin is forgiven. I think the imagery of baptism gets at this. We go down into the waters of baptism and die to self as Christ died. And then we rise up out of the waters and we put on new life, his life, risen life. The miracle of the catch of fish that we read about is a metaphor, I think, for this abundant life. Both boats had been out all night. They hadn't caught a thing. Jesus tells them to lower their nets. In doing so, at his command, the nets are filled to overflowing with fish. Both boats are overloaded with fish. It's such a dramatic miracle, Peter realizes he's in the presence of the divine. And like all those before him who had a theophany, he turns to Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. The life of Jesus living in us is our source of joy, a joy that isn't determined by our circumstances. It's the source of our love, even when we're hated or persecuted. 
It's the source of our hope, even when all around us there's despair. The life of Christ is, in fact, his life living in us and through us. And it's what I think St. Paul was getting at when he said, in Christ, you are a new creation. There's so much more to the Christian faith than the cross. There is also the empty tomb and the life that comes from that empty tomb. C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, in the end, the face which is the, this is a long quote, so stick with me. In the end, the face which is the delight or the terror of the universe must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. And then he goes on, and these are the words I want you to hear, to please God, to be a real ingredient in divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. You and I as followers of Jesus are living with one foot in this world and one foot in the world to come. It's what I think Paul calls the hope of glory, that we realize that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God, and that like Paul, we can consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. If we're living with one foot in the world to come, I truly believe the life of Christ, that joy, that love, that hope, will radiate out from us and perhaps even draw others to want to know about this Jesus and about the life he offers. This is what makes us fishers of men. We cast our nets with the love and the life of Christ in order that we might draw more men and women and children into his kingdom. As we're living in Christ, we have a call, and that call, as we heard, is to be fishers of men. Like St. Paul, as he opens these thoughts in our reading today, he delivered to the folks in Corinth what he had received. We too are to deliver to others what we have received, that Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to open to us the way of everlasting life. There is no other gospel. That is the message we're called both to share and to live. And you notice in the promise of Jesus to Peter, he says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. If we are following Jesus, that is precisely our calling as well, to share the same life and love of Christ with others so that they too can know his joy, his hope, his love. I quoted from C.S. Lewis and the weight of glory a minute ago, and had we continued on to the end, we would have discovered there's a great irony behind all this, and that is that the weight of glory or the burden of glory is not of my own glory for me but that of my neighbors. As we embrace life in Christ, may we seek in every way we can to share that life with others. In the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.